Well, good morning. As Corky mentioned, we do like to change things up. This is our communion Sunday, and we intentionally change the order of our service simply to change things up uh, so that we don't fall into a rut. So it keeps us on our toes. Uh, Not only do we change the order of our service, but we also change the sermon content. And so usually, three out of the four Sundays of the month, we're in an expositional study of a particular book. But on Communion Sundays, we change the uh, subject content. The last couple years, we have been doing Psalms, looking at the Psalms, not chronologically, but just kind of picking one here and there. And last Sunday, we looked at Psalm 100. And I had no intention of staying with this psalm for the next five or six Sundays, communion Sundays. But as I began to think about the, the, simple, um, the simple truths that are in Psalm 100 and compare them to how the, I guess our culture looks at the world. In other words, if you look at what the psalmist sees when he looks out of his eyes and sees the world, and then you look at what a lot of the people in our culture see when they look out of their eyes and see the world, it's two different things and there's this great gap between the two beliefs, how to live. So as I looked at these simple truths that we're going to look at this morning, I realized these are just more profound than we would ever realize because these are core fundamental beliefs and ways to look at life that literally direct the course of our life that affect every single decision we make every single day. So I looked at this psalm, and I saw the depth in it, and I decided to turn it into a series. And I want to entitle this series, Beautiful Things. Beautiful Things. We're going to sing this song a little bit um, later. And it's actually the title of a song. We have sung it many times. Then let me just read the first few uh, lines of this song. All this pain. I wonder if I'll ever find my way. I wonder if my life could really change at all. All this earth. Could all that is lost ever be found? Could a garden come out of this old ground at all? You make beautiful things. You make beautiful things out of the dust. You make beautiful things. You make beautiful things out of us. That's an example of what we're going to talk about this morning. Example of a worldview. What do you see when you look at the world and all that is in it? Is our world beautiful? Is our world broken? Is it both? What do we do with the pain that is real, that we face every day? Is there a God? And if there is a God, what is He like? And what does He expect of me? If He created me, why? What does He want me to do with my life? These are deep questions that at one time or another, in some form or fashion, we're answering as we live our lives. We don't always look at them quite so academically, but we are wrestling with these things 
and making decisions every day based on what we believe about the world and how we live in it. I, um, this series is also birthed out of personal experience because as I began to see what I hold as true and my reality and how I think life ought to be lived, which, of course, is fueled by God's holy word that I hold as absolute truth. And then I see people that I know, care about, family members, uh, friends, neighbors, whatever, in our culture making decisions that are completely opposite with what I think is right versus wrong or loving things that I think is wrong versus right, living in ways. And I just think that things are changing so rapidly in our culture, I can't keep up with it. And so I'm thinking, how in the world can somebody in my same community hold to this belief as truth when I see that as disastrous? And so I began to just think about this and... It, and, and Think about why do people think the way they live? How could you think so? For instance, same-sex marriage. I mean, it's there was a time when in our culture, somebody might be promiscuous or do something wrong, but it was obviously out of rebellion because in our Christian culture, they'd say, well, I know that's how I'm supposed to do it, but I'm just not. And I'm just going to live the way I want to live. That's not what we're seeing today. What we're seeing today is actually... What you think is right isn't right. I'm right. My way is true. I have good reason to believe this and good reason to behave in this way and think this way. You're the one that's off. So everything is just really being turned around. And even the gospel and the message of love based on this worldview is no longer received as a message of love. And that's another reason why I want to take on some really tough topics that our culture is facing today. Because we need to be aware that sometimes just simply talking about the gospel as truth and that you need salvation, that's not a moral way to behave, is not looked upon as a loving thing to do. And we might think, I need to share this with you to help you. And our culture might look at you and say, Stop hating me. Stop condemning me. I'm not receiving that as love. You are hating me. That's hate speech. And so the very message of love, when we distort our worldview and the way we think, our very message of love can be distorted into hate speech. And so we might think we're really doing a great job and being compassionate, but based on what they're hearing us say, could, could totally fail and flop. It's just gotten to the point, I think, that some things need to be said about how people think and how those around us and some of us are concluding things that I think in the Bible, according to God's Word, are crazy, absurd, and dangerous. Why beautiful things? Because as I thought about worldviews and the direction that our culture is headed in... And, I, and I, when we read this, it's just so profound. And I, we're going to read a lot of it for the next several months. But, and I think our culture is not reverencing the gift that God has given us. Not appreciating things. 
God has created all things good and beautiful. And right now, the thinking is that actually religion, and particularly in our culture, Christianity, is way too stifling. It's stiff. It's condemning. It is not at all seen as good or liberating. It's not seen as beautiful. But I believe what the Scripture says is that God makes beautiful things. And He gives us boundaries. He creates us the way we are. And He gives us rules. And He gives us boundaries. Not to keep us away from good things. But to keep beautiful things beautiful. And there's a whole different way of looking at life. A lot of times, what if we looked at God's rules, commandments, laws, not as something that's holding me back and keeping me from getting the desires of my heart. But what if God actually gave us these boundaries and commands so that we can get the desires of our heart, so that we can find that which will satisfy us the most? And I think that you will find that that's what Scripture teaches. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 He says, he has made, talking about God, he has made everything beautiful in his time. And it's also the passage that says, and he has put eternity in man's heart. Now let me read Psalm 100, five verses, very straightforward, nothing fancy in here. And then we're going to talk about this as a worldview. Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Last time we looked at this psalm, the essence of it is that our singing is based on knowing. That's the first principle here is that it's it's an encouragement for all the world, all the earth to know God. And based on what you know about him, express your joy. Offer Him your praise and live according to His glory. The the rest of this series, you might think it's a stretch because I'm not going to keep preaching that same thing. But what you're going to see is the truths in here are just open our minds up wide and apply to every area of life. So I read this song and I see two things. Simple but profound truths. This psalmist wakes up one morning and this is how he looks at his life. And he wakes up and he sees God. He believes in God as the one and only God. So his worldview, the way he's looking at life, is that there's only one God. Therefore, there's no need for me to look after, chase after other gods, worship other gods. Give my time, my material, my sources to other gods. This is the one and only true 
God. And he sees that this God has made everything, including himself. So he doesn't have to wonder where he came from. And in his world, the way he looks at life, he looks at his one and only true God as the one that gave him meaning, tells him how to live. And the way he relates to this God is that he's like a shepherd. He's like my shepherd. And so he is trusting in this God to take him to where he needs water, to take him when he needs to eat, to take him when he needs to get fat, where he needs to get skinny, whatever it is that you do as a shepherd. In other words, to protect him from the things that are out in the world that he can't protect himself from. This is a worldview. It's the way he woke up looking at life. And this is these simple truths that God created us, he created the world, he created me in love with a unique purpose. Everything is meaningful and purpose according to a biblical worldview. It has profound effects on our lives. The youth are doing a world. What is a worldview? A worldview is how you look at the... Well, think about the term worldview. It's how you view the world. It's how you see the world, how you make sense of it, and how you think you're supposed to live in it. Very simply. The youth are doing a... I guess it's a worldview study. It's Jesus among secular gods. And so it's a worldview study with Ravi Zacharias. That's why they look so smart this morning because they've been studying under Ravi Zacharias. And he says in a worldview, you've got to ask the important questions. Like, where did we come from? Origins. And we need to ask uh, about our meaning. What is the meaning of life? Why are we here? Where do we come from? Why are we here? How are we supposed to live? Where do we get morals? What is right and wrong? Who gets to decide that? And then where are we going? Okay, so we're here. We're all here. We know that. But where are we going? What's all this about? That's the kind of questions that we have to wrestle with in life. Now, you're wrestling with these. Everybody has a worldview. Say, wait a minute. That's one of those. I started reading this book on worldview, and it's too academic, and I put it down. Everybody has a worldview. They're like belly buttons. Everybody has a belly button. Except for Mr. Lunt. The gourd on Veggie Tales. The kids will get that. Belly button? Uh-uh. Everybody has a world view. You are living according to the way you see the world and how you think it is supposed to operate. Where did we come from? In Psalm 100, we have what we would consider a biblical way to look at life. A biblical way, when you open your eyes, what you feel, what you see, what you taste, what you experience with people, all your relationships with God can be experienced from a biblical standpoint of truth. He says, first, there's a God. He trusts Him. He is my shepherd. Why do people even ask these questions? Why do we even wonder about our origins? Why does it even dawn us to think, well, where are we going and what is the meaning of life? That's a worldview question. Why do we think this way? Why are we curious? Why do we have this need to know? Why do we sometimes feel anxious, unsettled? Why do we sometimes feel so satisfied like life all comes together for us? These are very real questions that, I, that have to be answered, and you can answer them rightly or wrongly, and I think God has given us the answers that we need to live a godly, pleasing life, satisfying life to Him. 
The Bible would answer questions like, because you were created with a certain nature, certain desires, certain ambitions, cravings. You were created in the image of God, who is all-knowing. Therefore, you have the ability to reason. You want to know things. It's important to you to know things. Why are relationships so important to humanity? Why are 80% of the shows on TV about some kind of romance or breakup or soap opera or whatever? Because relationships are important, important to us. Why? Because we were created in the image of a relational God who relates within the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The, the, these things that seem perhaps so complex, we are living according to our biblical nature. A correct worldview fits reality. A bad worldview will not work in our real life. It'll hit all kinds of roadblocks. It's like putting a, a square peg in a round hole. It doesn't work. So this biblical worldview that we find in Psalm reveals to us that everything has purpose. You know, we've heard about the... This is all just introduction, by the way. Kind of. It's worldview introduction. I'll let you know when the official sermon starts. Um, the biblical worldview teaches that everything has purpose. How many times have you heard, watched in a movie, maybe even in a cartoon, read in an article, magazine, whatever, that life is meaningless? It's meaningless. All it is is chance atoms that happen to bump into each other at the right time in the right place. It's, it's, there's no order to it. It's absolutely insignificant. There is no God. And so when you think that that's how the world came into be and that's how humanity came into existence simply through an accidental bump, how do you live that out as a worldview? then you believe that nothing really has significance, purpose. And it can really lead you into a bad place, and it has led many people into the bad place. And you look at the biblical worldview. It says everything has purpose and meaning because God created every atom in the universe to glorify Him. There's no chance Everything you are and everything you do can have has meaning and purpose to one degree or another. You don't just like let, love is a wonderful thing, and it really matters that we love, and it matters who we love. Marriage is awesome, and it matters who we choose as a life partner. And God defines what that means. This chance happening stuff that we see in the movies is not real life. And your jobs, where you go and work, whether you're digging a ditch or upholding the law or fighting justice in the courts or up here in a pulpit, all of those things fit into God's view of what we're supposed to be doing in the world to bring order to it, to subdue the earth, Genesis chapter 1. To subdue it, to work it, to keep it for His glory and His honor. Everything, every job that you do in every classroom that you sit in in school has purpose and meaning to serve the Lord. You couldn't have a more robust worldview than that, and it's exactly opposite to some of the worldviews that we hear about in our schools, in our educational institutes. I believe the, the biblical worldview is absolute truth, 
And it's the kind of reliable, safe truth that you can give your heart to, that you can build your life on. We call it here at New Covenant, building on the rock. Because we believe that this is what your existence needs to grow out of, the truths of God. And He will not fail you. It's not sand. It's rock. It's rock-solid ways to live. We don't realize how important these truths are that many of us were raised with if we were, grow- if we were raised in the church until all of a sudden you don't have them. Then you've got to start from scratch. Where did I come from? So Nancy Piercy is a, a brilliant evangelical scholar. I will be referring to her um, many times throughout this series. She's written a lot of really good books. She said she grew up in the church. When she was 16 years old, she had a, a crisis of faith. She said, I knew God created me. He loved me. He had a wonderful purpose for my life. And these principles seemed very simple until you reject them. I became acutely aware that I had no answers for the most basic questions. So she rejected Christianity. Then she realized, now what do I do? What do I believe? Where did I come from? Is life a hiccup in a universe of meaningless chance happenings? Do I have a purpose? Out of all the ideas out there, which one is true and real enough to build my life upon? What do I lose? What do I gain by believing or living as if there is no God? Is there objective truth? A binding reality in which all creatures are subject. The real McCoy of life and meaning. Can I make life up as I go? Create or decide to live it as I think is best for me? Is there even such a thing as a pass or fail in life? If there is no truth, can there be a wrong way to do anything? Can we ever say for certain what's right and what's wrong? That this works and this doesn't? So... When you look at this psalm, we read something so familiar to us, but I want you to know that, that the scriptures that we hold to, that we, we avail ourselves to each day and every Sunday when we gather as the body of Christ, this is profound. These aren't just some helpful tips to be successful in life. This is the word of God that defines who we are and what life is all about. And there are consequences to good ideas And there are bad consequences to bad ideas. And I think just the opposite is true. So if this gives us life, this draws us closer to who we were created to be, then bad ideas or false worldviews suck the life out of us, take the breath out of us, deplete us from meaning that we were meant to have. And there are a lot of bad worldviews out of there. So the things that our culture... At this particular point in time, there's lots of things out there that we're facing. But it mostly pertains to humanity and human sexuality. That's what you're going to read about in the headlines. That's what's being pushed these days. Who are we? What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be a person? You, may be, you, will, you will be shocked to find out what people are concluding it means to be human, what it means to be a person. How do you even qualify to be a person? See, the biblical worldview says you're created a person. You don't have to qualify to be a person. God made you that way. 
Not so when you reject these truths. You take that off the map, then what is, who gets to define what a person is? It's scary, but this is happening, not just in our culture, but politics follow culture. It's happening in the laws of our land. You will be shocked to, see, to hear some of the reasoning that people have for the decisions that they make. But that's what we're facing, human life. And, of course, sexuality. You can't it's ad nauseum in our culture. I said last time that my intention is not to bash people. And I'm, my nature is kind of more bashing people than compassionate. God's working on that. And I'm seeing that more and more. It's, it comes out of me, and I'll tell you why in a second. But that is not my intention here. And it reminds me, here's the effect that this psalm had on me when I read it. It was in uh, Matthew 9.36 when Jesus, he's looking at the mass of humanity. He's looking at the crowds. And it says he had compassion on them. It wasn't like, man, look at all those sinners. He's sinning over here and he's sinning over here. He has compassion on them. It says because they're like, they're, they're hopeless. They're harassed like sheep without a shepherd. And that's how I see false worldviews and the people that adhere to them. It's sad. It's sad. Because it's ru- it ruins lives. I mean, sin is bad enough in itself. But when you believe a lie for the truth, it's sad. And I have compassion for the ruins that these worldviews are bringing into people's lives that are well-intentioned. That really think I am helping people with this. Now, the reason that the brashness might come forth is because I also love truth. And I get passionate about truth. And so, some of that might come out uh, in this series. And I don't mean to put it into a us-them kind of category at all, but I just wanted to give you a heads up. What we see on the surface today is a result of what's happening underneath in people's thinking. In world views. Why do we need to talk about this kind of stuff? Well, because you've already seen it. You've already seen remnants, perhaps maybe even head on, of where our culture is taking the idea of humanity. Personhood. Where our culture is taking uh, sexuality and gender identity. You see where it's going. And... One of the reasons for this series is born out of personal experience because there are people close to me that are wrestling with these issues, people in my life, my community that are wrestling. So what do you do? You're a believer with a biblical worldview. What do you do when somebody, your work, your workmate or whatever says, hey man, will you be the best man in my wedding or the matron of honor in my wedding and it's a same-sex marriage? What do you do? You know, what, what do you do with, uh, you go to, you have a family reunion every two years and you come to your family reunion and you hadn't seen your nephew in two years, but now your nephew is your niece. What do you do? Or at least they think they're now a girl. Uh, what do you do when somebody comes to you and says, my marriage is in trouble? He says, oh, did, did, did you cheat on your spouse? Well, no, my spouse uh, changed their gender. My spouse no longer wants to be my husband. They want to have a new life and be a wife like Bruce Jenner. 
who is now Caitlin somebody. Same last name? I don't know. Anyway, Bruce Jenner, the guy that I grew up, yeah, I ate Wheaties in the 70s. With He was on the box. He was like this, this icon. He was a great example of an American athlete. And now he is a woman. Well, what do you do when you run into these things? What do you do when your kids are on that softball practice or baseball practice or soccer or basketball? You know, and, and your friend decides they're changing their gender. What do you do when your one of your friends gets pregnant and they're not sure what the thing that is in them is and what rights do they have over that? Is it a life or not? I mean, these are things that we are going to face if you have not faced already. And so we just need to be equipped for the work of the ministry. And when two people look at the same thing and come draw two opposite conclusions that should be concerning to us. Because if the Bible is absolute truth, guess who has the answers? You do. You have the answers. God has entrusted the gospel. He's entrusted these precious truths, truths from the royal treasury, as we would say in our bulletin. With you, you have the answers that people are searching for. They may not know it. You have it. And it is our job to bring God's truth into people's lives that they might also become worshipers. This psalm is an invitation not just to the people of God, mind you. This psalmist's worldview sees the whole world offering their joy and their praise to this God. Our culture wants to conform us to its image. Scripture desires to conform us to the image of Christ. C.S. Lewis says the Christian and the materialist, materialism is a different worldview, hold different beliefs about the universe. They can't both be right. The one is wrong and will act in a way that simply does not fit the real universe. So who is acting today in a way that doesn't fit? The materialists, the naturalists, the pantheists, the deists, of all things came up this morning in Sunday school. Deism. There is a God, but you only know Him not through natural, I mean, super, um, special revelation. You only know Him through pure reason. And yes, Jesus existed, but He was not divine. However, He was a great moral teacher. And if you just read His works, you can learn the difference between right and wrong. I recently read this on, I got an email from Focus on the Family. Pastor, and this is what I'm thinking about. Should, should I take this series in this direction? Pastor, are you talking to your people about sexuality? Are you talking about today's tough issues? It says people in your congregation are already dealing with this. Christians are subject to the influences of a culture that values biblical wisdom less and less. And they begin to feel the pressure to either go along, to get along, or see things in a new way. Where once we could rely on culture to generally support a biblical worldview, we can no longer do so. Pastors need to assume that the only place Christians will receive a biblically faithful view on tough topics in, is in their church. 
And when we come to terms with this, it makes our time behind the pulpit and our churches, discipleship programs, all that more valuable. I know that I'm talking about complicated things and I'm, I may leave questions unanswered, but these issues have to be tackled. How did we get here? How did this chasm come about when we look at the same thing and come up with two different ideas of how life ought to be lived? The key to understanding, here's the bottom line that I'm going to carry throughout this where our culture is today in the worldview. Today our culture, at least in the view of what is humanity and how does sexuality work, gender work and so forth, it has a dualistic perspective. That is, our culture looks at humanity as um, body and mind or, or soul or spirit. So the things that are visible and the things that are not visible. And have concluded that the body is inferior to the soul. So the body is a servant of the soul. So the body can be used as a tool to fulfill the desires of the mind. When you play that out, it can have disastrous consequences. It's a dualism. Very briefly, from Plato, who also broke the universe into two different parts, matter and form. And he says that what we see down here... It's, it's inherently bad or evil and you kind of want to avoid it. The higher life is you live it in your mind and you think about the transcendentals of truth, goodness, and beauty. So the Greeks were always trying to escape this by thinking about philosophical things. Matter is inherently evil. Today, we take that and we look at our physical bodies as something that is not a part of who our real person is. Therefore, we can do whatever we want with them. Our mind informs our bodies. Let me give you a modern day example. And I maybe think, I maybe, some of this stuff is hard to grasp, but you will get it eventually. But how, what does this look like? In 2014, I remember reading headlines in, in the paper uh, a Duke Law student made the headlines. And what she did became so well-known that I think if I understood it right, they're going to make a movie out of it, Lifetime or something. So there, here is a, a brilliant young lady. She's attending Duke, and she is enrolled in law school. Law school is expensive. Her father either loses her, his job or gets a pay cut. How is she going to pay her tuition? How do I continue to fulfill my dreams? I've always wanted to do this. So that what she decides to do to pay her tuition is to work in the porn industry. A college student. A brilliant college student. And I think if they, either a book or the movie uh, was entitled From Straight A's to Triple X. She was raised in a strict Catholic family. So she realized that even if she were to take on a job around minimum wage, it just wasn't going to happen. It wasn't going to be enough. So she takes on a fake name 
and she gets a job in the porn industry. Now, I quote, I feel more degraded serving others in a minimum wage job than doing porn. Now, this is real life way to think and wrestle with issues. Her worldview of the significance of her body and the impact that it has on her whole person is coming into play with this decision. She called her porn uh, career empowering. But what do we do with that? Is it empowering? Is this a good thing to do? Is, is, it, is this a legitimate option to people with financial issues? Is this a good way to fulfill your dreams? Sound reasoning. Well, it depends on your worldview. Her worldview sees her body as an instrument to get what her mind wants. And what she does with her body, because it's an inferior, subpar part of her person, doesn't really matter and doesn't really affect my character or my personhood. So therefore, it's, it's less degrading to do porn than it is to work a minimum wage job. My body can get me what I want in life. It makes her feel like a powerful, powerful person to be able to make this decision to use my body in this way. And she said, feminism is about having the right to act in any way we choose. There's two different worldviews going on here. One is that the body is inferior. The other worldview is that our choice is where all of our power is. And for anybody to stifle my free choice is to keep me from being free and liberated. Now that's where we get into the commands of God. Are the commands of God, the boundaries of God, there to hurt us and to stifle us? Or are they actually there to keep what's beautiful and good thriving among us? This idea of our personal choice, my, what I think matters. This is what we see in our culture. The important thing is to express your opinion. It doesn't matter if it's based on facts. What matters is that I feel this way and you're going to hear it. I need to be heard. The facts aren't as important in our culture as they used to be. Think your feelings and your positions and your beliefs, they don't have to be based on facts anymore. So this worldview that she has with the body being subpar and that the ultimate liberation is by people getting to choose what, get to do whatever they choose to do is prevalent. Interesting thing enough is that a lot of times because false worldviews don't work in real life, people are constantly bringing in the Christian worldview. So... She got upset about this fact of a double standard. And she said, you know, how critical or hypocritical is it for people to condemn me for what I'm doing and they're out there watching it? And she's absolutely right. That's pretty sad. How does she even get this idea? Well, that's based on a real standard of right and wrong. That's the Christian worldview. That actually is a real right and wrong. So she pulled that into a worldview. Where is she today? Nobody knows. Now, why would she feel the need to no longer be in the spotlight? Why would somebody who was so verbal about how empowering this is, why is she nowhere to be found? I would guess because in real life, her view doesn't work. 
In real life, if you want to be a lawyer, it matters. Your history matters. If you're going to be the one that's up there uh, supporting justice, it matters who you are, your whole character. You can't just do one thing with your body and another thing with your mind in real life. So her worldview is clashing with her real life. This is just our society. These are things that people are wrestling with. And if we understand how they're thinking, we can be equipped to maybe help them see how's that working for you? Is that really going to get you what you want in life? What kind of consequences will come out of that world view? So that's where we are headed. That's what we're going to look at. Modernism, postmodernism, and everything in between. Specifically, we're going to look at human human sexuality. We're going to look at transgenderism. We're going to look at um, the LGBTQ issues, a little bit about abortion. How do our neighbors define humanity and live in this world? I want to close with this. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So that Christian worldview is there aren't many ways to heaven. Do you ever hear that? Oh, there's lots of ways to get to heaven. There are not lots of ways to get to heaven. There's one way to get to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. Have you ever heard the expression, that's truth for you but not for me? How can truth be true for you and not for me and yet still be truth? That's relativism. There's only one way to get to the Father, and that is through Jesus Christ. We see Him in this psalm. We see Him in this world that He has created. And I want to encourage all of us to push into Holy Scripture and not take for granted the truths that we are literally building our lives on, but to share them with a lost world and people that are being harassed and tossed around, believing one lie after another. For the remainder of this morning, we are going to continue to enjoy and glorify our God.